Because I'd like to start out by praying mm. and just saying, Holy Spirit, man, not only do we invite you to come to be part of this, we need you to be part of this. Mm. And God, I want to start out with prayer of repentance that if there's anything in me, anything in my heart, in my life that I want to just bring it before you, because I don't want nothing there that would hinder your Holy Spirit. And I ask that however this works out, man, and of course, I know you know that it would be a blessing to my brothers right here and then a blessing to anyone else who would receive it or hear it. In your great name, sir. Maybe you could start by telling why you call God sir. I call him sir because I recognize who he is. He's not just my adopted father. He's the sovereign of the universe. He's the king of kings. Ain't nobody above him. And I think in part due to my you know, military training that I just automatically do that out of great respect. He's my adopted father, but I respect him as my sovereign. You know, yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a Democrat or a Republican. I'm a monarchist. <laughs> I serve and follow a king. I serve and follow the king of kings. If you wanted to go from there, you know, we could go because he's the only king <laughs> that has ever truly served those who were his followers. He's the only king who has never been self-seeking. Yeah. That makes him unique and makes him the king of kings. Mm. Yeah, there's I, always that, that part of any government that is the part that is dedicated to making itself self-sustaining, but he's already going to outlast everything else anyway, so he, he doesn't need that part. He's already self-sustaining, you know? <laughs> if you take that right there, and you can go so many different directions from there, dude, all right? Holy means set apart, so therefore God is, is holy by default because he's automatically set apart. He's automatically self-sustaining. He doesn't need anyone else to sustain him. And, and if you follow that out, then you start to go, well, wait a minute, he's holy. Well, what does holy mean, you know? I, one morning I woke up and I hear God speak to me. And I hear the voice that says, you be holy as I am holy. I said, I'm sorry, sir, but you got the wrong guy. I said, I don't even know what that means, mm. you know? And I walked down the stairs, go to get my coffee. When I did, I put the radio on. When I put the radio on, third day, come on singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. <laughs> I thought, well, that's kind of strange. I had my coffee, and I went walked out across my yard to my shop, and I got about halfway across when I heard the voice again say, even though you don't understand it, declare it to be so, because I am. And if you will declare it to be so, I will change the atmosphere around you. I will change the land around you, and I will change the man on the inside. I walked into my shop, my kids are giving me one of them little iPod things, you know, little, it has music, and they had it rigged up to my, my shop stereo so that when I put the power on, this thing would come on and play for me. And when I did it, third day come on singing, holy, holy, holy. <laughs> and so I went outside in my yard, you know, because where I live out there, I ain't got but two neighbors, and neither one of them can see me through the trees. And so I went out in my yard, and I just put my hands up and started shouting, I don't understand it but I know that you are, mm -hmm. you are holy. Mm -hmm. I still do that because as I realize, you know what, I'll change the, the land around you, I'll change the atmosphere around you, I'll change the man on the inside. And I do that now, not for the other two. He'll do those, but the one I do it the most for is because I want the man on the inside to be changed. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can get into the, the power of declaration because you have when somebody's telling a story and you're imagining what's going on, 
look at the scan of the brain, the neurons that are being activated, and what it looks like is exactly the same as somebody who is having that experience. So you are inside your own mind experiencing that story, and that's why storytelling is so powerful in communication. But when you are declaring something, then you are putting your mind in that direction, and at first it's you feel silly because you know this isn't true. But then you know, if God said this, then it's more true that it is true than that I'm not feeling it right now. Even if you don't understand it. If you stop and think about it, holiness, do you really understand it? Do you really understand it? God's holy on a level that you and I can't comprehend. He's holy on a level that we can never get to on our own. We can never get there. That means we're in absolute need of his assistance. The only way we ever get to be that holy is if he declares it to be so over us. Yeah. And when he declares it, when I talk about declaring stuff, when he declares it, it happens. When he declares it, the atmosphere around you changes. The land around you changes. You know, you can look at all kinds of, probably all kinds of examples, you know. Abe, wherever you put your foot, Abe, wherever you walk, I'm give that land to your descendants. So wherever Abe walked, the land changed. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? You know, uh, the Israelite people, y'all go in there and into the land and, and take it because wherever you go, the land's going to change because I'm going with you. You see what I'm saying? And when the land changes, the atmosphere changes. I think if you look at that statement, one of the reasons the atmosphere changes is because he's in it. He comes with all his holiness <laughs> and the very atmosphere around you and I because we've accepted what Jesus did for us. And so that's the only way we get to be holy, you know, is because he declares it over us. Well, the far out thing there, dude, is if he's declared it over you, it's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Even, you know, there are times you might not feel like you're living up to that. You know what I'm saying? You, you might not be. You ain't living up to it. But he's declared it over you. And I think sometimes it don't matter what you think or what you feel. What matters is what he's declared, yeah. what he's spoken into existence. He told the Israelites, don't be like those people who were here before. Don't sin like they were, or you're going to poison the ground under your feet yeah. like they did. You're going to mm -hmm. pollute it. You're going to corrupt it. But when he redeems it, you know, God is a, is a just judge, so there's a price. If you're going to redeem this land, you have to pay the price. But he paid the price, so he is able to say, you're redeemed. It's all quit. All that pollution is gone. You're holy, and this land will now be fertile, and it's going to produce, and it's going to bring forth a hundredfold because he paid the price to make that change. Yeah, it's a good way to say it right there. <laughs> he, but it's all his doing. You know, in reality, we're just coming into line with what he did. Yeah. We're lining ourselves up under. We're just simply saying, hey, look, I'm sorry. I was wrong. You are God. And the moment you do that, he's like, okay, now we can go to work. Yeah. You know, now we can start changing the land. Now we can start changing the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And we can start changing the man on the inside. One thing I learned that way back when I first started hearing the voice talk to me from the ceiling. And the voice said, if you'll let me, I'll change your life for you. And when I first heard that, I thought, well, that just means he's going to make me a Christian. And I didn't want to be one of those. But I've learned over all the years now that since that happened to me, I realized, wow, well, I'll change your life for you. That's a, not a one-time event. <laughs> See, I misunderstood what he was saying. Yeah. You know, he's, it's, I'm going to change your life. It's a lifetime I'm gonna event. lead you out of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to lead you out, you know. 
I'm gonna set you free, you know. And, and uh, as you were talking about the land and the power in the word, I was just hearing how it says in there about that even the rocks are crying out his name. So the yeah. land cries for, out his name, even if we're not doing that for the land. Yeah. The, the land earth. does cry out to Yahweh. <laughs> the earth groans for the sons of God to yeah. be revealed. Yeah. God's creation, because he spoke the word and it resonates with his word everything has its own vibration and it's all yearning to be restored to god's perfect creation all of creation speaks of me it's not just a picture out there but it may actually be speaking in the supernatural in the spirit realm there's a passage in the bible talks about the trees will clap their hands well i don't see i'm looking out i don't see none clapping right now you know what i'm saying <laughs> you know it's cold out there they ain't clapping you know in our limited capacity, the frequencies go from sound all the way up to light, and then the things that we can't sense in any way. But if you could hear or you could see every frequency, then everything has a color far beyond our limited range of colors. Everything has a sound. They've listened to the tree's heartbeat. I don't remember how low it was, something like 20 or 30 hertz, but... If you go in the forest and you put the microphone on the tree and you can hear the sap moving up in waves, so it's almost like a heartbeat that the tree has a very low thrum. Wow. So everything is making its own, <laughs> its own sound, and God knows that I can hear the symphony of the earth. He spoke it all into existence, so it's all going to resonate with his voice, I suppose. You know, once he spoke it into... I never thought about it that way, but that may be an interesting way to think about it. It resonates with his voice. Yeah, his word sustains the universe. His word still resonates through. Mm -hmm. He didn't just think it into existence. He <laughs> spoke it. Yeah. Even when there was no one there to listen but him, he was still speaking it. I thought about one time I was driving in the interior of Alaska and looking at all the phenomenal scenery, and I thought, man, God, you know, I've not even been to 10% of this state. I've been over quite a bit of it. I've seen a lot of it. I've seen a lot of the world in the lower 48. I said, I ain't even seen 10% of this state, and I'm amazed at the beauty that's here in the little bit that I've seen. There's beauty everywhere that I've traveled, and I, I can't even begin to imagine what a new world and a new heaven is going to look like. And it was one of those times that I was thinking to him and didn't know that he was listening. And as clear as a bell, like he was sitting right beside me in the car, he said, I can. And then I had the thought, I said, oh, I guess you can, because you kind of had to imagine this one first, and then you spoke it into existence, you know? Think about it, because we, we don't think about that God has an imagination. But don't we have one? We're created in his image. So we have an imagination we have a sense of humor. We have feelings. He's got all those things. He's got all of that because he had them first. Yeah. They were given to us. In a sense, it was given to us as a gift from him. Yeah. So that we could relate to him. It makes me think of like when I went to work for Harley-Davidson up in Anchorage one day, and I'm in those days, Spinard was still pretty rough, you know. I walk out in the parking lot, man, and the cops are busting a hooker right up here on the corner. And his brother rides in on an old iron head, man, and rides up to me and goes, hey, man, you want to smoke some weed? And I said, no, thanks, man, I don't do that stuff anymore. Man, I literally could feel what felt like a wall go up between me and that guy. Mm -hmm. And as I walked away... I said, God, I, you know there was a time. It was another time I was talking I didn't know he was listening. I said, God, you know there was a time that I could have come in here and I could out-cuss, out-spit, out-fought, out-smoke, and out-drank a bunch of these guys. I said, now the only people that ever wanted me, my own people, want nothing to do with me. 
I no more than think that. It was like he was walking right here beside me across that parking lot. And it's clear. I didn't have to wonder was it the 70s come back to haunt me. As clear as a bell, I hear him go, I know. My own people rejected me, too. And I was like, oh, dude, you can feel what I feel. And then I went, oh, no. I feel what you felt. Because you felt it first. And then it really began to dawn on me, oh, my goodness, you have feelings. And I thought, well, of course he's got feelings. You got him, idiot. You know, where do you think you got him from? You know? And, yeah. Yeah. That made me really be more conscious. So maybe it goes back to why I call him sir. Because I respect him for who he is. And he feels that. So I'm more conscious of what God feels when I talk to him, when I, how I treat people. Mm. You know, I'm conscious of how he feels. It's like there was a, I tell you this sort of time that I was working in my shop and I'm listening. I got NPR on and it was back when Prairie Home Companion was still on and, and the show ended and there come these guys that were all scientists and they're all debating whether Noah's Ark was real or not, you know? And, and, you know, whether they'll find it, you know, or whatnot, and they're going on. And, and I thought, well, these guys done educated themselves stupid. <laughs> I said, man, I'm a carpenter. I said, you know, I know that wood don't last no 6,000 years, 5,000 years, whatever. That stuff rots, mm -hmm. you know? And then as clear as a bell, I no more than think that. Then I hear the voice and goes, who told Noah how to build the ark? And I stopped. Again, it was like, well, I didn't know you were listening. And I says, uh... Well, you did, sir. And he says, then why did I tell him to pitch it on the inside and the out? And I was like, pitch just don't seal. It preserves. Man, they're going to find that boat, you know? <laughs> and that show ended, and I switched the channels, you know, and uh, and that Chuck Mishler comes on. And that Chuck Mishler guy is talking about Noah's Ark, <laughs> you know? And he was the kind of guy that, you know, he did all the math. He was a former sailor and a code breaker and all that. So he does all the math, and he comes on, and he goes, you know that that boat, and he gives you the math, and he goes, that boat could have went almost 90 degrees vertical and not rolled over. And then he goes, you know, he does all the cubits, whether you had the uh, the short cubit or the long cubit or the Egyptian cubit or the Babylonian cubit. I'm like, holy cats, I didn't know there were that many cubits out there, you know. And he goes, but if you take these numbers and you add them up, then that's the equivalent of, like, I forget how many railroad cars, two Missouri-class battleships. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea the boat was that big, you know? And then he goes like this. He goes, when you build the boat, do you pitch it on the inside of the out? And, and somebody in the audience said outside, and then he goes on the He said, then why did God tell Noah to pitch it on the inside and the out? And I'm like, hey, 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 <laughs> this is a smart guy, yeah. and he's having the same thought I had, you know? <laughs> and, and then uh, he goes, I believe they're going to find that boat. He said, but I just believe they're looking in the wrong spot. And then all of a sudden I have a realization, wow, this is a really smart man. <laughs> and he just had the same thoughts that I had. And all of a sudden I had a realization, oh, my goodness, I was just in the mind of God. For a brief second. Oh, I you're gonna say I'm a really smart man. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't you know, I don't I've just been in the mind of the ultimate genius in the universe. And I got excited, man. I ran out my shop. I was running across the yard. I was gonna go tell my wife, Wanda, Wanda, I just had a moment in the mind of God. It was so cool, man. And I got halfway across the yard and the voice speaks to me. I hear God, he goes, Son, you had a moment in my mind but you missed my heart. Mm. And I was like, oh, I was doing so good for a second there. But then I thought, you know what? Wow, it's not enough to know what he thinks, but you got to know what he felt 
when he thought it. Mm. And you got to know that you got to get to know the heart of God. Well, just just means, man, you got to get close to the guy. Yeah. You got to pursue him. You got to get to the place where you step up in his holiness because he allows you to come up in it. He brings you up in it to reveal himself, his character, his personality, his nature to you. When he does that, the man on the inside gets changed. I tell my girls all the time, I said, when this gets changed, this starts working different. <laughs> and when this starts working different, this starts behaving different. Yeah. I can tell, I tell them all the time, I can tell whether you believe something or not. Because <laughs> all I got to do is watch how you behave. Yeah. And you can tell me that you believe and I'm watching your behaving and your behaving ain't lining up with what you're saying you believe in. <laughs> I'm going to go, I really don't think you believe it. David was a man after God's own heart and he was impulsive. And he, he really liked the women, and there were all kinds of things that would have would have maybe made him different than your average Christian today. But when you look at the way he acts, he had a whole different viewpoint. He's like, no, you know, God put him in your hands. No, God doesn't think that way. Mm -hmm. This is God's anointed, and I can't touch him. Yeah. And he he has this just innate understanding of the way God thinks because he spent all his time seeking after God's heart. That's when I, I read that recently to you, and I got to thinking, you know, well, you know, I was sure this, David was a man after God's own heart. Tell me, David was a man like God. David behaved like God. I'm like, wait a minute, no, he didn't. <laughs> that boy did really good until that Bathsheba moment, you know, and all the other moments that he did in on a long way, you know. And I said, then I thought, wait a minute, what if I'm reading it wrong? What if it's not like David had a David had a heart after God? He didn't have a heart like, he had a heart that was, he was after God's heart. He pursued God's heart. He didn't act like God, because all you got to do is read God's <laughs> book to find out that the man didn't act like him. But he pursued the heart of God. And it was in that pursuit of the heart of God that brought the change to David. See, that's why in the pursuit of the heart of God, so that when David really messed up, David, you know, finally got real humble and said, yeah, it was me, man. I did you right or wrong. I broke the warrior code. Nate said, yeah, you did, boy. And because of it, it's going to cost you that baby. And that's an interesting point of the story. It says, David, you know, put the sackcloth in the ashes, you know, Ash Wednesday for him or what. And, and he fasted and he, you know, and he said to them, who knows that what God won't take back, he won't speak back that judgment that he spoke out. Yeah. And then, you know, then Dave went and God said, no, or Dave went, no, God's sticking to his guns, man. Mm -hmm. And he gets up and he bathes and everybody goes, Dave, you freaking us out. <laughs> he goes, yeah, I know. He goes, but you know what? I can't bring that boy back to me. But I know that one day I'm going to go to him. Mm -hmm. And a cool thing is you stop and think about that for a moment. That little baby is immediately gone in the presence of God. He's experiencing, and he has the answers to all the questions that David still has. But when David gets there, you know, I kind of try to think about this, that when David gets there to meet that kid, there'll be no animosity towards David. Because the kid has grown up, and he's already been in that holiness for just such a long time period. You know what I'm saying? I think about my nephew that made it one day short of his eighth birthday. He already has all the answers all the questions I have. Yeah. He's been up there for, I think, 13 or something years now, you know, maybe longer, 14, 15. 
But I heard a guy talking the other day, and I, and I disagreed with this preacher because he was saying, well, you know, when you die, you know, you really are just in this sleep, man. You just go to sleep, you know, but you really aren't, you know, up there in, in heaven. And I thought, no, nah, I don't think so, dude. I think you're missing that one. You know, even though you got on TV, you got this one wrong. Because I know that there's a passage that says that to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. Mm. All right? When I started looking at it this way, we can, we can, as human beings, you know, like, well, you ain't got no body, man. Ain't got no body. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, 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 you're a spirit. Your spirit lives forever, man. Yeah. The moment you die, let's say, you know, you hear all the stories about people who died and, and they're up there looking back and can see their body, you know, and they, they have these encounters. Your spirit lives. Well, guess what, man? When you die and your spirit leaves and goes into the presence of God, you know, I, I'm, I, I think this is what God says. I think God's sitting up on his throne and goes, welcome to my world, man. You know, because the Bible said God is spirit. Yeah. And when your spirit is up there in, in connection with his spirit, welcome to my world. Now you know what it's like to be a spirit. You see what I'm saying? And don't worry, not too long from now, we're going to resurrect your old body. It's going to be a whole lot better than that last one. Mine could use a tune-up, a few repairs. <laughs> when he gets up and he can just turn and worship, not just saying the word from his heart coming out, what flows out at that moment is worship. He'd already grieved at the time when there could be a change. But when God says, this is the way it's going to be, God, you you are holy, you are awesome. Well, you know what you're doing. You're the wise judge. You judge truly. You are king. You you're are perfect in your righteousness. You're perfect in your love. You're perfect in your judgments. You don't never make mistakes. Yeah. I don't know if that bothers you guys, but it's tough to deal with somebody who don't ever make mistakes. That's my wife. But no. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Take that back. <laughs> I told you the story before that one day, you know, my wife and I were, we were having a discussion. One of those kind of discussions that if you are the man and you are right, you still ain't one. You know? And at the end of the discussion, my wife fired out at me and said, oh, you think you're so right all the time, you know? And I walked away from the discussion and a little bit later I was sitting in the throne room and I sat down on the throne and I said, hey God, I should look from, from your throne to mine. I said, we both got a white throne this way. I said, you know what, sir? I said, uh, I know I'm not right all the time. I know that I make mistakes, man. I said, but even so, when I am right, it sure does piss my old lady off. I said, you ain't never wrong, sir. It was another time I'm talking and not thinking that he's listening, which I don't know why I do that. I talk, they think, If I'm talking to you, don't you think you might be listening? You know, but I'm talking to him and I'm thinking that he's listening. I said, you know, you don't ever make mistakes, sir. You ain't never wrong. Does anybody ever get pissed off at you? And man, as clear as a bell. I did not have to wonder, was it the 70s come back to haunt me? And I don't know how this part of it works, how someone who exists outside of time, but I knew he was standing. I knew right where he was standing. And he was leaning up against my shower like that. How I knew that, I don't know, but I knew. And from over there in that corner by the shower, I hear him talk to me. He goes, you'll get used to it. And I was like, oh, well, you're right again, because... If you ride all the time, I better just get used to it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I said, dude, I said, what are you doing in here? I said, can you not talk through the door like everybody else? And he just went, you started this conversation. <laughs> and I went, yeah, but and I was going to say, yeah, but I didn't know you were listening. But then I realized he was right again. And I was like, yeah, but oh, you're right. <laughs> and so the conversation ended and I went on my way and 
was a week or so later that my wife and I were having another discussion. And it was at this point that I learned that sometimes God shares stuff with you that you ain't meant to share with other folk, you know? Mm. Now, I should have really thought this through a whole lot better. But at the end of the discussion, Wanda fired out, who you think you're so right all the time? And I came back with, hey, you'll get used to it. <laughs> hey, don't laugh, it wasn't funny. <laughs> Was not received with humor. <laughs> goes back to your earlier point about, it's not just what God says, it's what he feels. When I said that, but my wife is a beautiful, gentle person, you know? But she and she's native, so you, but even so, you can still see the red coming up in her cheeks, you know. And so, man, I was like, man, I'm out the door. This ain't working. Boy, I headed out that door. As I ran out the door, I said, God, that did not go over as well for me. And from behind me, it was like I heard him say, I can't believe you said it. And I was running towards the shop, and I realized he didn't go with me. He stayed in there with Wanda. Now I'm out in the shop all by myself, and I'm wrong. And I sat there going, man. I was wrong for saying that to my wife. I said, uh, I said, I need to get humble and go back and apologize. And I said, but I ain't no fool. I said, I'm staying here for a while till the heat blows over. <laughs> you know, and then a little bit, I went back in and, I, and one was in the kitchen. I said, baby, I said, I'm sorry, man. I, I shouldn't have said that to you. <laughs> and and I, so I tried to blame it on Jesus. I said, Jesus said it to me a week ago. I was just repeating it. <laughs> she goes, that's all right. I've already forgiven you. And I was like, whew, it's a good thing he stayed in there with her. You know? So if this does go on the internet and you're a young person or anybody, don't ever look at your wife or girlfriend and say, you'll get used to it if she says you're right. You think you're right on it. Don't try to use God's word to prove yourself. <laughs> because it only works for him. <laughs> oh.